Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Clark. For the last decade, I've had the privilege of learning from impactful leaders across the globe through my service in the Peace Corps and nonprofits. Their leadership has inspired me to highlight those among us who are truly impacting our world so that we may learn from them and be more impactful together. Yes, leadership can be learned. The guests on our show are providing direction, inspiration, and leading the way in their business and community through service. Are you ready to have an impact? Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. My name is Carl Ponto. My company is Squash and Stretch Productions. And I've been an artist my entire life. I grew up drawing, painting, sculpting, big Legos kid. And I got my passion for storytelling from my dad. He's a really good storyteller. And I knew I wanted to study animation when I saw the first Toy Story film. I was like, ooh, that, I got to do that. That's so cool. And then beginning of 2002, I started to feel like something wasn't quite right with me physically. I've been a competitive swimmer my whole life, so I knew what I was supposed to feel like. And it wasn't like, oh, my shoulder kind of hurts. It's like a general blah feeling. But by August, they still hadn't figured out what was wrong with me. And I had lost 50 pounds and then sunken cheeks and eyes. I was really pale, started to get really bad headaches. So my parents took me for an MRI up in Walnut Creek. And we were waiting around for another appointment when my pediatrician called and said he's going to drive up from Pleasanton to come talk with us. And we saw him walking up with this big envelope in his hands. He could tell he'd been crying. And he brought us into a little side meeting room. I remember I was sitting knee to knee with him, this big U-shaped chair with a really high armrest, kind of leaning forward towards him. When he pulled out the results of the MRI and showed me I had two brain tumors. And it felt like I got punched in the chest. I actually moved backwards in my chair and for the next two weeks, everything sounded like the adults from Peanuts, kind of wah, 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 because I've never had the flu, never broken any major bones, never been stung by a bee. I'm pretty sure I've never been bitten by a mosquito. So to get brain tumor diagnosis at 15 years old was a complete sucker punch out of nowhere. But I got so much help from friends and family and my high school adjusted my schedule and got me a tutor so I could still graduate on time and people I barely knew were giving food and gifts and other support. It's really inspired me to want to give back and help as many people as I could because I'd probably be dead if it wasn't for all the help that I got. And then in undergraduate schools, I was studying animation. There was a big student digital art and design competition I participated in with this big screening at the end of like a thousand people in this big auditorium, and then maybe 10 people in the room. But when everyone laughed at the joke of my animation, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. I can connect with people and have a big impact with animation and storytelling. So after grad school, I started my company and we tell exceptional stories for exceptional impact. And we empower tech, biotech, healthcare, and professional services companies to increase their revenue and profits by attracting more of their best clients using storytelling and animation. No matter whether a business is B2C or B2B or even B2G, they're all really H to H, which is human to human, and humans tell stories. And so by helping those sort of companies, more people in the world to get their lives improved, our clients' business does better. We get a happy client, everyone wins. It's a way for me to have a bigger positive impact on the world around me, and that's why I do what I do. And then when it comes to storytelling, what do you think, what's the biggest misconception you see these tech companies when they come to you and they're asking you to tell a story or they're trying to tell a story what's that like common thing you're like come on guys get your stuff together yeah i mean the, the biggest uh mistake companies make no matter the industry but especially the ones that i'm looking to work with uh, when i work with are they talk way too much about what they do and about themselves 
and like the features and benefits of their product or service or how many years of experience they have, how long they've been in the business, all the awards they've won, what schools they went to. And the harsh reality is that nobody else cares about that sort of stuff. And it's not necessarily a, a, an indictment against them as, who, as a person, because everyone has, has, feels the same way. Um, you don't care about what other people do as much as you care about what you do. You do. It's a natural mm-hmm. way we're wired. But it means when you're trying to market to people and uh, differentiate your business and attract them and, and per, per, uh, persuade them to buy from you, you need to reframe your marketing to be more about what your audience cares about, not what you care about. And it requires empathy and it requires listening to what your potential clients are saying and really reframing your messaging to make them the focus uh, of your messaging when it comes to uh, how you do what you do and the results of what you do. And then the only time you should really be talking about yourself is when you talk about why you do what you do, like the story I just told and stop talking about what you do. Because if you talk about why people get the what in there out of context, but it's the why that really makes uh, your you and your business different from all the other people that do what you do. Hmm. And then <clears throat> slightly different question, were you on the entrepreneurial side when you were younger? Um, not really. I mean, I, I was really into like kind of math and science and art. I was very like, I always loved learning, which I know is a big key of being a good entrepreneur. And so, I mean, I, and when I graduated originally, I was thinking of, I was going to go into like feature film animation production stuff. But yeah. I, I learned about kind of like the what the experience was like being in it, uh, like crunch time and kind of and all the like the things that pe- people go through in the industry kind of turned me off to that. So I was thinking about what I could do to use my skills and have a sort of impact I want to have on the world. And so I, I used a book. I read a book called "What Colors Your Parachute," and it helped me. There's some exercises that helped me realize that starting my own company. Would allow me to use my strengths and be the sort of environment and like a lifestyle I, I wanted mm-hmm. and I would thrive in because I don't do operational like do the same thing every day like the same way over and over and over that stuff drives me nuts I'm just I, I'm no good at it um, <laughs> I get bored really way. fast um, and so I like that what I'm able to do especially as an entrepreneur there's always something new to learn there's always each client's situation is different and so it allows me to keep learning and and have the sort of um, experience that suits my strengths and um, so it's one reason why I really enjoy what I do is that it's not oh my gosh I'm gonna do these same five things the whole day for another three days till the weekend sort of thing and now it's all right I gotta work on I'm gonna interact with new people and and working on various aspects of the business besides yeah yeah coaching and the animation production side of things so it's it's a challenge don't get me wrong it's definitely um not for everyone it takes a lot of hard work and i've definitely learned a lot and made a lot of mistakes but it's something that i really enjoy and i i I am grateful for how much i've been able to learn and all the people i've been able to meet um as a entrepreneur compared to if I was working nine to five for someone else. 
Yeah. Are you, did you work with another coach? Like how did you learn all of those skills or was it just yourself devouring books and YouTube videos or. It's a combination of stuff. Like I've, I've worked with uh, professional business coaches, a couple of them. I've um, read a lot of books on like Kindle. Um, and also I've done I've invested in some uh, kind of one to many coaching programs by people like Darren Hardy and mm-hmm. um, some other more uh, industry specific, like in a marketing and um, sales sort of like programs help me improve on those, on those aspects. So it's um, not just one uh, thing I invested in that got me everything that I, I learned and there is no real like easy fix to like get all the th- everything you need for your specific business because everyone everyone's business is unique in some way so it's yeah. it's always good to have a lot of different inputs and then and then be able to synthesize uh, a solution that works for your situation like for my the coaching I do with story coaching there's people that invest in like the story brand framework and it's mm-hmm. a great framework but it's like it's there's only like a one kind of way of applying the framework and not all businesses will fit yeah. as well in that framework as others. And so there's some gaps in that just approach where you, oh, I'm just going to invest in this one thing. I'm going to apply it's going to work exactly as well as it did for the people I talk about on like the website and stuff. And it's, you really need to have a more holistic, customized process. And so I've put together a mm. program that like it kind of pulls the best bits of a lot of different things I've learned myself from different uh, sources and from their experience. And then I deliver that to my clients when I'm coaching with them. And, and there's also a lot of room for what I do when I'm working with someone to kind of customize it for their situation. So if they want to do focus on something that's not necessarily part of the standard curriculum or the standard framework, it's no big deal. We can adapt it to fit their needs because it's, mm-hmm all about making sure people get the results they want and not just checking a list of boxes and think, hey, we got it all done. It should be working perfectly. And I was like, well, you need to actually like figure out what's going to really be the best fit for you. Yeah. It's the story brand. You're talking about the Donald Miller. Yeah. It's a, it's a great starting point, great framework. Yeah. Definitely helps with that initial reframe of how to think about explaining what your business does or what, explaining your business to people because too often, like I said, people talk about what they do and they end up sounding like that, like that guy at the bar who's had two drinks too many is loudly boasting about his new car and how low his golf <laughs> handicap is and he's going yacht shopping next week. And no one really likes that guy because he's talking about them himself the entire time. But most companies in our market like, we do this and we do this and we have all these awards and we here's how long we've been in business and look how awesome we are and nobody cares. Yeah, so, it's, it's a tough thing to go through the story brand I tried it myself and it really I had to put it down several times leave go back and like go back to it because every time I would get caught catching myself trying to say the same things over and over and over and it does a really good job at forcing you to sort of take all those ideas and crunch them down yeah it's it's something that we're so used like one of the things I, I tell people clients not clients is stop asking so what do you do to people? And to stop answering that question, because the minute you reply with what you do, you immediately accept all the baggage they carry internally. Like, they're like 
of all like the bad experiences they've had with someone in your industry or what their their preconceived notions and biases about those sort of industries. And so it's almost impossible to rid yourself of those labels once they're they've attached to you. So if you but if you can avoid them by talking about why you do what you do instead of what, yeah, people will get the what, but they won't mentally have that. Oh, you're you you're X sort of professional, and then they have basically jumped all these conclusions. Instead, you're Andrew, and they get to know you as a person more than just what you do, oh. and then you they stand up more in their mind, and you immediately are not lumped in with all the other people that do. Digital, digital marketing, right? for example. So it's yeah. it's uh, it's something that um, I once you uh, yeah, some uh, whenever I hear someone ask, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I, I always say, well, can I tell you why instead? And they go, okay, but it's uh, <laughs> it's what is not that exciting. Yeah, someone I was talking to the other day, and I made a post about this actually. He put, people aren't interested in your service; they're interested in the outcome. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not what you do that people care about. It's the results of the results of what you do. That's really what people are paying for. For example, the one I use a lot is Apple, the piece of fruit, not the software company. Um, so if you're like, the reason why you eat an apple is you enjoy the taste and it has nutrients. That's the first result. And the second result is you enjoy the experience of eating an apple and the nutrients help you stay healthy and happier and have like a longer life. That's why you really eat an apple. And so if you're, if you're, let's say like a CPA, like an accountant, and you're trying to market your business and say you help uh, startups with their bookkeeping and that sort of thing, you don't wanna say you're a bookkeeper that works with startups because, okay, there's a bunch of those, but you say, hey, I help bookkeep, or help uh, startups books look amazing. So when investors check them out, they wanna write them a fat investment check. Startups are gonna go, ooh, I want to get funded. I want a bookkeeper that's not going to help me get funded. That's you're the right person I should work with. That's way more compelling than what you do because you're talking about the results of what you do, which is the results they really mm -hmm. care about. And that's what they're willing to pay. You pay more than any other bookkeeper because they know they're going to get that fat like series A funding check and be able to grow their own company to the next level with your help. But if you just talk about bookkeeping, that's not that exciting for people unless you're a, another bookkeeper, but people often forget they're not selling to themselves. They talk yeah. much about things they, they care about. Like they, it's like, oh, if you're selling to yourself, that's great. But if you're selling to other people, you have to understand them and empathize with them and look at it from their perspective. Was that a challenge when you first started this? Trying to teach people like that differential, that well, different mindset? Is, well, it's, I mean, it's not hard to teach other people that. It's hard. It was, I actually had trouble with basically applying it to my own business, kind of like the cobbler's kids have bad shoes sort of thing. Because what the problem is, when I understand what happens is people get so, you're so immersed in your business and you know it so well and you kind of live, like eat, drink, live, breathe it, that you have trouble explaining it to other people who don't have the same understanding and some of the same immersion in it as you do. And so... For me, like for my own website, my own marketing and stuff, I sometimes when I get coaches or I talk with other people that are, do, are in the similar industries as mine and get their feedback because they go, oh, you're, you need to do X, Y, and Z because you're making these mistakes. Oh, damn, I, I, like, I know better when I tell it to other people, but I try to apply it to myself. I still trip myself up. So it's, again, it's not something to be like ashamed of or like, like 
feel bad about necessarily, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's just something that we all need to be mindfully have. aware of. Yeah, it's one reason why it boggles my mind when people don't want to invest in like outside help or want to invest in coaches because I think they can do it all themselves because it's no one achieves anything worth having on their own. There's always someone they've worked with, someone who's advising them. Even like, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but I, I saw the guy who was like, he was like Jeff Bezos's coach, and he was, and he's like Richard Branson. Like he's worked with all these really amazing, successful billionaires. Yeah. He's not. People like no one really. He's not as, nearly as big of like a, a household name as them, but he's the guy who's helped them get to that level because even like they all needed coaching in some degree to get where they are, and it there's this kind of, uh, I was like a myth or a fallacy, then at least in the U.S. that. You got to get it all done by yourself, and it's, it's you're and like an island, and you don't need help from anyone else, and you got to be able to do it all, and you you, you don't, and it's like and the thinking you can do that, and, and not seeking help uh, is what leads to people to get overwhelmed and burnt out and kind of and fail because yeah, there's no way you can know everything about like business or or like the like leadership, um, all the sorts of things that. Uh, you need to be a successful business owner, or a successful leader, and so it's always important to uh, like take some, eat some humble pie and ask someone for help. Have you seen kind of going back to that kind of same question, different way of asking it? But have you seen that changing? So, like at the beginning, when did you start your business again? I started. I got the like doing business as name in 2014 started doing like the networking and stuff in 2015 and then incorporated in 2018. Yeah. so like from two, 2014 and 2015 has it been easier to sell the story mindset like you're supposed to be telling a story in this mindset of like working with coaches because i feel really after 2018 2019-ish people for whatever reason something changed in the culture and people started becoming a little bit more accepting of it have you seen that or has it always just been people like has it been easier to sell because i can imagine people go to you and they say telling a story in a cell sounds kind of like woohoo kind of whatever and they may not buy into it maybe today people are like okay i understand this a little bit more especially with like TikTok and all these things people yeah. are stories over and over and over and it's such a more compelling thing nowadays because we have we need to be telling stories on all of our social media. I mean, I do think there's people are, especially businesses and like larger companies are coming around to the fact that they they need to tell better stories. But I mean, it's not necessarily new by any stretch of the imagination. This, this sort of storytelling stuff, it's out been out there. Like it's just, there's the same sort of things that made Coca-Cola and Apple, the computer yeah. company and like Nike, the international brands are these yeah. the same stories telling tools um like the 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 ad campaign that made nike a national brand was the uh, if you let me play about supporting female like girls in sports and the first ad they ran didn't even have the word nike on it, it had the swoosh but there was no didn't even mention the word like the company's name but it showed mm. a picture of a, of a like a young girl and talked about all like the impact like the positive benefits that her life will have if she plays sports as a kid yeah yeah, yeah. That any parent would want their girl to have um any good parent um and that 
took their and that's been like what has made Nike such like the uh, the number one like well, huge name in sports uh, like marketing sports uh, like attire and, and equipment is because they've told stories about how their brand supports uh, female athletes. And even today, like the la- at the last Olympics, there was there's an ad that um, I've talked about a lot because it's just like mind blowing how powerful it is. It shows like there's a female fencer, I'm forgetting her name again, um, but she's celebrating. It's like the picture, like she heads back and she's like yelling because she just won. And there's six words on the ad. It says, be the hero you never had. Mm-hmm. Nike, just do it, swoosh. Doesn't talk about any product or service or the features or like what they do. It talked all about the impact of having confidence and being able to support other people and and like the and all these this narrative that for their target audience, which is those like female athletes, especially now like a um, like a minority like female athletes, because it's like it's all usually like we're showing like Serena Williams and they're showing uh, uh, Biles and all these athletes that are amazing role models, but they, and so like, it's talking about to those sort of that people that sort of message super really, super powerful resonation with those sorts of target audiences mm-hmm. that they're aiming for. And it's the same, like small businesses and like, and other sort of companies can use these same storytelling tools in their businesses, but they just, they, I don't know why they don't, they're starting to come around to they need to do this more, but it really starts with getting like the mission, vision, values of the company optimized because it's so often a company's mission is just like a statement of what the company does and it's not that exciting or that inspiring or they don't communicate it well to their teams <laughs> so like more and more companies are like there's this rise of what's called like uh b corporations there's like 5200 i think in the world now um and they're basically uh, there's they have two bottom lines there's the profits and they also have like the positive impact having on the world mm. and like when it comes on some sort of other cause that's not profit-based and so i think more and more companies that uh are going to be thriving going forward are the ones that have a cause beyond just turning a profit behind like why they do what they do yeah it has to be authentic and it has to be something that fits with their brand and is um not some sort of uh, kind of bandwagon anything like uh, like what Gillette tried to do during the pandemic like in 2020 they had, they had some campaign about they suddenly were standing up against toxic masculinity and everyone kind of went what why how does this why does what you do have to do with toxic and like it kind of flopped yeah. but if the brand can really support like the ones like Tom Shoes or Warby Parker and or even uh, Patagonia Airbnb. what Patagonia as well like when it comes to climate change like yeah there's some that have an, like their authentic, real cause that they and they don't just give it lip service. They actually act on it. Either they build it into their like their yeah uh, portion of their like proceeds or their like revenue goes to it, or they they donate. Other employees like donate their time, or like and they'll actually like use their the tools they make or like the equipment they use to support the people. Like they actually are actively doing something good beyond just 
being a business and, and turning a profit. And so those mm-hmm. sort of companies more and more are ones, especially like millennial and Gen Zs are really drawn to want to help those sort of companies that are, um, it's like, I'm blanking on the actual stats I've read, but it's like over, I think it's well over half of like Gen Z will pick oh, yeah. a company that supports a cause they care about over a comparable one that doesn't. Like it's something that really helps people stand out and differentiate their business. And it's something that even if you're not a big global brand, say you're like a like a local insurance agent, support them at the local level. You don't have to be like, hey, we're gonna like my agency is gonna help cure cancer. That's gonna yeah, yeah. we want to see the kind of bandwagon. But if you have, we're gonna support the local like uh, breast cancer walk, or we're gonna we're gonna do some support some local charity or like a support one of the local soccer teams and uh or like a something like that's more something that the, like the that the insurance agent like authentically cares about and has a connection to but talk about more that more in their marketing than just the insurance programs mm-hmm. they offer and that helps people because people want to really know two things when they first learn about a business is what is the result I'll get by working with you and uh, what do you believe in? Do you share my, like, do we share beliefs? And so it's, uh, if you talk about, hey, I believe that, like, this cause is really important. I want to support this sort of thing. Then, yeah, that's, and then we, our results are what we do with this. Those are two things that people, are, okay, this is a place I want to support either by being their client or, like, working for them as an employee or, I'm looking for a new like vendor, like if to support like my business and I want to work with you guys because oh, I know that every time I like get more office supplies, it's coming from a company that's like supporting like reforestation of like trees, or, like something like that, where it's okay, this is it makes them feel good like their the time and their like their money and their energy is going towards something that's uh more beneficial than just yeah. Uh, uh, it's like the stock price of a company. And that all plays back into the story too. Yeah, and then you, you can explain all these and then the stories you tell about why you do what you do and the business's mission and vision and the values of the company. And, and I, I challenge any like business owner who has a team to go ask each of your team members separately what your company's mission is and your vision are and like the values and see if they can, if they can't all say it like the same answer and consistently, then you have room for improvement in your in your brand messaging. Because if your whole team does, if your team doesn't know what your mission, vision, values are, you can bet your clients have no idea what they are. And if you improve that, just that part, um, it'll make everything else your business is trying to do way easier because you'll have this guiding kind of beacon to move towards, and it'll make all the like decisions you're making for what sort of products or services to offer or who to hire or what sort of mm-hmm. clients you're going after. All those things will be way easier if you have these stories figured out internally beforehand. You just said a lot there. A, a lot of great things. Um, I do love that because I think the best organizations are the ones that everyone knows what the mission is. They know why they're there, but then it goes down the they entire also know why They know how their role plays into that mission. Yeah, that's a good distinction. I know why they do what they do and how, yeah, I might be the one like making copies for this next upcoming meeting, but I know that these copies are going to allow like the people in the meeting to make the sort of decisions that have the impact that makes the future possible that 
for the company is working for, and that makes this seemingly kind of mundane task mm -hmm. worth doing. And I'm going to do it well because it is does play into this bigger purpose of the company. And yeah, that sort of stuff is something that's and, lacking in a lot of companies too. And then what you also said too is, I I don't remember the stats as well, but like brand loyal ship has dropped so much like people don't care about the being loyal to a brand like who cares if you're just coca-cola or pepsi or i mean that's like the big national brands but even for like smaller local ones people don't care i don't remember the stats it was like something like 50 percent, or it's like some more than the majority now are moving to a point where it's more of like an ethos ethical values mission thing more than a brand thing so it's like stop trying to make it just about a brand thing, but actually practice and put into action what you're saying. And people will, the right people that you want to sell to will follow. Yeah, I've seen ads for some, uh, like, a, I think it's a credit union in, uh, mm. in, the, in California, it's talking about how they're basically saying, do you know where, like, how the banks you bank at are investing your money? Because if they're investing in these sort of, like, are they investing in basically a bunch of oil companies that are mm -hmm. pollution? Or do you want to make sure that your money, your bank is using, is going towards causes you care about? Here's the causes our credit union supports. Here's where your money is invested for this. Like, you should come be, give your money to have our, like, be, your, do your banking with us because we'll make sure like the companies we invest in are ethically supporting the sort of causes you care about. And that's a that's a super effective and uh, valid differentiator these days because, um, like I I've seen like people like it's easier not as easier but there's more and more people like it'll come out of like who's supporting what sort of companies are supporting certain different candidates and like what sort of political and social causes that yeah, companies yeah, yeah. and like the the it is. It can seem like uh, a risk in some cases for some people, like the to really champion a cause beyond uh, turning a profit. But it's in general, it's already been the case in marketing that you can't appeal to everyone. You can't make everyone happy with your marketing, and you can't. You're not gonna like everyone with a spine is not your target like buyer. You really niche down your marketing anyway to to make it work and have it be effective, and so. Is another way to make sure you're the people that are working with you are like and you're uh, spending time with are the ones that are going to really be your best clients uh, because you you are supporting the same sort of causes and you believe that they believe the same things and it's so it's it's people that don't want to alienate some potential like market well it's you you weren't likely to get them anyway yeah. Because they like the it wasn't resonating with them already, and if you do lose some, but gain more that are a lot more dedicated and loyal, and will be like repeat more likely to repeat and more likely to evangelize to their friends and like refer you. Those that's like the whole eighty twenty rule. You get eighty percent yeah. profits from twenty. Like the more you get those that little twenty percent of like the top clients, and you make fill up more of your book of business with those people. That's way better than having more clients that are the the ones that kind of like haggle with you on price and are like and waste your time and don't spend as much and are 
like annoying to work with. Yep. I think it's called the thousand rule or something too. Like I know a lot of YouTubers talk about this where you don't need to be the next like PewDiePie or like those Mr. Beast, like those huge ones with a couple hundred million subscribers. Yeah. You just need to be someone with a dedicated fan base with like say a thousand people who buy your stuff consistently. Yeah. You know, and that's that. And then it's interesting too. So I met this morning with a company, a startup, um, they're called Stimulus out of Philly and their whole premise is helping companies make better purchasing decisions. So if you're trying to find like meet up with them suppliers, they have an index and like a rating system of somehow oh, cool. where you're able to align like your, your values and then see how it compares, whether it's like diversity, sustainability, environmental, you know, all, so on and so forth. So, I mean, that's definitely going to be the trend. And it's interesting that now there's companies coming out to help make that a thing. Like this is a company that will help people guide find that north star and make that decision yeah because there's definitely i totally see that being a, a need because um sort of like with how like the yeah like digital the, all the work or business world has become it like you can work with pretty much anyone anywhere and also there's gonna need, need to be people that are kind of the the whistleblowers or like the people holding like the other people accountable that say they are caring about like mm -hmm. x y and z and then make sure they actually are walking the walk not just talking it yeah, yeah. Um, like kind of what we saw going on with like a wells fargo a couple of weeks ago was this was how he's like they're interviewing people for jobs already like filled because they're trying to get like the diversity like so they're being trying to be more diverse and really they weren't and it blew up on their face and they're like their their brand is was already kind of terrible in my eyes and it's sunk even lower but it's, somewhat, <laughs> it's like the there needs to be accountability and and um, mm -hmm. more transparency in the business world is what companies are actually doing if they're living up to what they claim um, and if it's if a company is like serious about wanting to be successful and growing and and, be, and thriving in the modern world they should be willing to be transparent like that's like what also happened with uber recently all like this stuff come out about like how awful uber is and their brand is like i'm not taking an uber ever again yeah. um and like that's this huge like or they, even amazon yeah i mean there's so having like it, it's the the more at least the the authentic like causes people support the more transparent the business world is the better off it is for everyone including the businesses because when if they genuinely like take care of their employees and like are supporting causes that are good improve the well-being of as many people as possible then those businesses will do well and also, it's also a good product and service and stuff, but it's like people want to support them because they're generally a good company to support mm -hmm. and they won't have to try and cut corners as much as like it seems the happens so often in the business world and it, it le that leads to kind of this erosion of trust between 
people in the brands that, like I said, people are like aren't supporting the brands as much anymore. It's because there's just kind of this air of uh, shadiness surrounding like corporations and conglomerates and stuff. And so it's it's a avoiding or kind of airing out those uh, what normally would be hidden and something really being really honest and transparent and open with people is going to be good for business because and it's something like on the employer employee side thing there's already plenty of data that shows that when employees are happy they do better work and the company does better and so it just kind of baffles me that there's such as pushback against stuff like working from home and the like dei and like b stuff and all these things that and like the mental health and like mm-hmm. and this companies that aren't like removing the toxic situations in their workplace for whatever reasons, whatever excuses are giving, uh, just baffles me because it's obvious and evident that if you make your employees, can't your employees be happy and enjoy what they do and feel like their work has meaning and purpose and allow them to work in the way that's that allows them a good like work-life health balance, then they'll do better work and your company will do better and everyone wins in that way. Yeah, yeah. Why isn't that a good idea? Why, why, why don't you support those sort of things? This makes no sense to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. Some people are just... <laughs> You would think it would be that much easier. And I, I can't think of the stats as well, but you see when you pay them a fair, like a good wage, you take away that stress. That stress yeah. frees up so much bandwidth in your head. That extra bandwidth then can go towards productivity at work. And then yeah. comes a, a cycle. Most of the companies, they make double the amount. And if they are making more, they can afford to like pay their medical bills and get like yeah. normal like preventative stuff. They don't miss as much because they're not sick and they're not injured or like, mm-hmm. and they're like their families are like, it is, it, everybody wins in that way. And the company makes more money and it, like it's more successful, but it's just like this. I know it's not a logical thing because we aren't logical. We make decisions with emotion. I think it just, I think it, part of it is just like this, well, so much of people that are in like leadership CEOs, executive roles are still using kind of this 20th century leadership style, which is kind of like a top-down authoritative patriarchal um, style at work was what they basically developed in like the industrial revolution area. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't really changed much since then. No. Whereas now it's a lot more like 21st century leadership is a lot more um, like it's the a lot more, uh, the, it's not necessarily the top-down sort of hierarchy as much anymore. There's a lot more um, level playing field, like where like the more autonomy for the employees and there's a lot more, it's not less, less about managing, it's more about guiding and coaching when it comes to like the management level stuff. And it just, it takes us again, like a huge paradigm shift, reframe, that's gonna take a while but there's just, there needs to be more. And there are some out there, but it needs to be more like 21st century leadership training that uh, gets people to 
learn how to listen and empathize and um, and build the sort of cultures that people are looking for. And I think what's it's something that, that women are uh, more naturally uh, adept at than men. And so I think the the future of like leadership and future of workforce is very much um, going to be a female leadership, female workforce. I think the companies that have more, get more women in leadership roles um, are going to be the ones that are doing better. And again, like also mm -hmm. more diverse uh, leadership teams and boards and stuff are, there's already shows that, like they'll be more innovative, more innovative, more um, like stronger cultures, more productive. It just, be, there's kind of this change of the guard that needs to happen where the people that are clinging to the old ways of doing business pre-pandemic mm. need to politely and kindly <laughs> get out of the way. Um, is that one of the story, is that one of the hurdles you think that are coming is when it comes to not being able to one because you mentioned listening a second ago like people aren't listening so then that's not you know things can't move forward people aren't getting paid fairly um when it comes to listening what are some of the things that you think because it is hard to listen like especially if you're telling a story it's hard to take in all that information and just stay focused you know like how do you what are some tips that you would give to someone when they're trying to tell their story on, on the why? Like, do you try to tell them to keep it as short as possible? Do you have any tips there? Well, when you're telling a story, there's certain, like the right way to tell it that hooks people in and keeps them engaged over the course of the, the story. Yeah, you don't want to be, depending on the situation, you can have different lengths for different situations. If you're only have a 30 seconds, so you're not going to launch into your full story. You might have a, does no, like no, tell no. the, the most important bits and like um but you do have to kind of understand and know the like the context you're in and what your audience is expecting and, yeah. and, and open to hear um and so it does require uh, empathy and understanding who you're talking to before you start speaking and telling your story um i think it's in general in this country and around the world, especially in this country, just our culture is so individualistic focused. There's a lack of empathy and mm. people have, it was bad before the pandemic, but it definitely has gotten a little worse because people have been like so apart because like the shutdown, they haven't been like interacting socially as much and online with anonymity, it makes it worse, but it just, there's, they've, uh, they don't know how to listen and they don't like basically not willing to hear what other people have to say. It's like a dissenting opinion. I think social media has caused that, make that problem worse because you, your feed gets filled with things you care about. And you don't get, like, you can kind of get a little echo chamber of only people that agree with you and they forget and you lose the uh, input from other people that maybe they don't agree with you and you don't know how to, um, politely disagree with each other anymore. Um, and so I think the it's one of the things that I'm 
when I work with my clients, it's helping them like learn how to listen to their clients, listen to their employees, how to actively listen and empathize with people because you you have if you don't if you don't empathize with someone else, it's you're not gonna be able to get them to buy from you because you have to get that trust built. And like the way I put it is if I could, if I could snap my fingers or cast a spell that would make everyone in the world as empathetic as humanly possible, but casting the spell would kill me, mm -hmm. I'd still do it. Cause I think if there was more empathy in the world, then stuff we have like the political issues and war and like the social inequalities and all that stuff would just be gone and bigger problems like climate change and cancer and COVID would be a lot easier to solve because uh, people will be able to work together and, and listen to each other and uh, not just be thinking about themselves all the time. Yeah. But since magic isn't real, I'll use stories instead. Um, I'm going to throw you a curveball too because you're talking about your mission. What's your mission? What drives you for what you do? So I just I just mentioned that was basically my mission with that. Well, I just told you right there was basically that's my mission is to increase empathy and connection in the world and. I think like what we've been talking about that businesses have a great opportunity to be kind of champion that because it's in their best interest to uh, do this sort of thing because they make some more money. I think by, if people start to reframe the way they interact with each other and, and are more empathetic towards other people in a business context, it'll naturally flow into the more personal interactions and that's a good thing. Um, and so that my, my personal mission is just what I just told you there is yeah. increase empathy and stories are a great tool for that because stories, stories aren't just a marketing tool or some other little gimmicky uh, thing to try and help businesses out. It's basically transcends that to be a part of the, what makes us human. One of the reasons why people, uh, humans have survived and thrived for so long is because we're able to pass information along using stories and our brains are wired to tell and and uh, consume stories. We organize information in our brains in like a narrative format. We understand the world using stories. And so if, uh, if we're going to overcome the challenges we're facing uh, in the world today, it's telling the right stories That'll be a key part of that. And so helping people uh, learn how to tell better stories for their businesses and their, about themselves and help them form the deep human to human connections that need to be successful in business will allow them to apply those same things to personal relationships and then everyone else, everyone that does that will be better off. And um, if that is able to propagate out and kind of um, become increase the level of empathy with people and more the human to human connections and I think the world will be a better place and that's kind of the, the vision I have for my life is that I'll help people uh, build those sort of connections with stories and to me that my next question was going to be um, what do you think sets you apart from your competitors? But I think you kind of just answered it too. Like you want to help people not just make money, but you're helping them connect with other humans. Yeah, that's part of it. Another one is on like a little more technical side. I'm, I'm very good at taking complex ideas and explaining mm -hmm. them really clearly and concisely to, with, for people. 
And so it's really good on the animation side because uh, people are often like dealing with complicated products and services. And so helping them explain it clearly, concisely with some visuals and animation is great. But then also with the stories is like people are complex, like combinate like mixtures of contradictions and and <laughs> ideas and experiences and feelings. And it's not, there's no one label or even one combination of labels you can apply to more than uh, a handful of people in, in the world. And so helping people understand their own story and what makes them unique and what help them can share that with people that they care about um, is one of the things that help, like, it differentiates me from yeah. other, other people that do the same sort of work that I do. But it's, um, I, I definitely have that uh, abundance mindset. I'm happy. I love, uh, I know a number of other people that work in the same sort of space. I mean, it's always fun to collaborate with them and uh, refer them business and that sort of thing because I'm, I'm not necessarily going to be a good fit for everyone out there. Yeah. And so if I can um, send someone to what might be seen as like a competitor, but it's, I like the term collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> we're working towards the same sort of goals. Uh, we're competing in, a, in some sort of sense, but we're also still like the bigger, like our missions are complementary. So uh, I'm happy to support them as well because if we reach those sort of goals we're both aiming towards and everyone wins in that way and there's plenty to go around. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I know I was like when, back when I was swimming and stuff, I always swam fastest when I was racing next to someone who's like a, like a good competitor oh, yeah. for me. And so I think that if people have um, some healthy competition in their with their business connections and that'll uh, help them innovate and come up with new ideas and work even harder and, and we're more likely to get the yeah. results they want for themselves and their clients so it's again it's it's a uh, it's not a simple black and white cookie cutter there's a reason why they put the fastest person swimming in the middle of the pool in that middle lane well there's a lot of reasons one it's because it's the fastest lane. Yeah, um, but it also you have the two people on the side of you that yeah. are the fastest. So it, that's one of the other reasons why I, I ran track. So being yeah. in that middle lane was always the most ideal because like it's going to push me from you have the two people closest to you on the side. And yeah, there's also a like the actual physics of how water in a pool flows around. If you're on one of the edges, then the water gets when you. Or swimming, the water bounces in front of you and slows you down some when you're on like the edge of the pool. Interesting. So they, the the edge lanes are actually like physically slower lanes than the center because you don't have the same wave fluid dynamics thing. So that's another reason why the fastest people get can earn the center of the pool because. Interesting. It's the faster lane. Anyway, I wonder if there's anything like that in track. Like on the track, because otherwise it's just air. Probably not. On um, track, oh, no. I, I don't think I'm, maybe you don't like, I don't know. I, I could cover yeah. some silly <laughs> scenarios where being in the center is better. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's probably not the same sort of situation. Uh, I but I would say the, 
what sets you apart when you mentioned you're able to take those complex stories and make yeah. them simple, Compl simplifying complexity, I think works great with kind of the clients you mentioned to work with, like some of the FinTech, especially in the area you're up in California, half the time when those people are creating their apps and their companies, they have these grand ideas that are so complicated and they're not really like meant for humans almost. So yeah, being able they to speak engineer. Yeah, and be able to take all of that and turn it yeah. into the human story is key. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of startups in like tech, biotech, healthcare, they're brilliant <laughs> at what they do, but like their CEOs are like, was well, an engineer, they speak, they speak engineer, they speak yeah. uh, a different language than like the investors or, like, or the people are trying to buy from them. And so if you, if they use too much jargon, it's a term I, I it's not my term, I, I stole it, but it's, a, I love it. It's called jargon monoxide. Because <laughs> you have too much jargon monoxide in your in your messaging, then puts people to sleep and kills your deals. So jargon. it's uh, a <laughs> well, people clear out the jargon monoxide from their messaging and have more effective stories. That because I mean another thing that's important about especially in the more technical sort of fields to remember is human beings make decisions with emotion every single time. And for those of you shaking your head thinking, no, I don't make decisions with emotion. Yes, you make decisions with emotion and you rationalize them later. It's your limbic system. It happens every single time. There's, there have been studies where because of some, like, some seizures and stuff, they had to separate the limbic system from the rest of the brain in some patients. And afterwards, they couldn't make decisions. They could weigh the pros and cons of why they should like red shirt over blue shirt sort of thing or like, like cereal or eggs, but they could not decide anything because they had no emotional input on the process so Holy, i'm gonna try to, to persuade people to buy from you or to work for you or to invest in your business you have to have that emotional element that ties all the facts and figures and data together otherwise you're not speaking to the part of the brain that makes decisions Mm. And it, we, as much as we'd like to think of ourselves as thinking beings that feel, we're very much feeling beings that occasionally think. And so it, when you're trying to interact with people and persuade them, it helps to know that's what's what's going on up, up in their head is yeah, yeah. not a logical process. And also know that it's the same thing for you because um, it, it's, it, there's a great book I highly recommend. I've talked about this book a lot lately called Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. It's awesome book. It covers <laughs> all sorts of things that he's an MIT professor, run a bunch of experiments and like shows what the data is and how people behave. And he actually prefaces the book with someone that says, it basically says, please use what you learned in this book for good. Because the same sort of things that people use to start cults and like manipulate people. And because it basically it's, Act is uncovering basically the the foundational like behavioral uh, wiring in our brains. So it's a very primal, very like uh, powerful tool if you kind of know how that works. And so one of the things is, is once you learn these things, please don't abuse them and like treat people with respect and and act ethically. Um, but like one example from the book that blew my mind uh, when I first read it was, say you're uh, like fixing a car tire and, and like your driveway, it's like a hot summer day and you're struggling with it. You see one of your neighbors walking down the street, you've known them for 
a number of years, your good friends, and say, hey, can you fix my flat tire? They'd probably stop and spend an hour helping you fix your flat tire. Same situation, same person walking on the street, say, hey, let me fix my flat tire for three bucks. They'll be insulted. Because once you brought money into it, the social contract goes out the window to think about how much their time is worth. And the same person that logically you think, oh, you're going to get three more bucks and something you would have done for free, but it's not how we're wired. Once you bring money into the equation, people stop caring as much about helping other people and thinking more about what their time is worth, what they're worth, mm. and or what the thing's worth monetarily. And it changes the way we think. So it's fascinating. It's a great read. Uh, and I'll echo the author's uh, plea of please use it for good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to give it a watch. I'm gonna have to give it a read. I should say, not a watch, but yeah. Um, but thank you so much. I mean, I've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, how would they reach out to you? Uh, you can reach out to me at uh, Carl K A R L at squashandstretch.net, or you can uh, visit a uh, squashandstretch.net and go to our contact page and fill out the form and. Reach out that way, or you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, linkedin.com slash in slash K-P-O-N-T-A-U and send me a DM there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carl. Thank you.